We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Ryan, I'm going to ask this one because uh, yeah. I'm not a father, so I'm yeah. not answering this. I can't answer this one. But I'm going to ask you now, father yes. of two, mm-hmm. Irish blood. It says, who's grilling what for Father's Day? I'm not grilling anything, Irish blooded, because it's Father's Day. <laughs> Somebody's going to be grilling something for me. <laughs> I'm not grilling anything. I honestly don't know, though. I, I think I think we're going over my, my mother-in-laws, and I think my parents might be coming over potentially. Okay. So I'm sure they're doing the grilling thing. I mean, I'm Look, man. Hey, <laughs> KMX at steak. If you want to grill me some steaks, sir, on on Sunday, I'm down for it, man. All I know mm-hmm. is I'm not doing anything. Else. I am not. I am not cooking a thing on Sunday, sir. Not I, I'm not sure thing. what I'm going to have. I'm probably going to make some steaks on Sunday, but just because that's just got what we're going to have. Um, yeah. I'm taking my wife out to a steakhouse tomorrow night for a little, uh, little just nice evening away. Um, nice. Needing to get out with my wife. We haven't spent a lot of time together the last couple of weeks, so we'll we'll be going somewhere on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it's funny, Ryan, I don't grill as much as I used to because mm-hmm. I have started to find like a new recipe for making steaks in the house nice. that honestly is just better than when I grill steaks. I mean, it just, it's tremendous. So it's like, Hmm, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how much to grill. And so I'm, I'll probably do more chicken and pork chops and stuff like that on the, you know, what thing I've wanted to do, I've wanted to make ribs, but I don't have like a smoker. So yeah. I've, I've seen some good rib recipes for a grill. You just got to do it right. But uh, I may do something like that this summer, but I, um, I need to I, buy a smoker. I, I, I want know. a smoker too. The best thing I ever had was when I went down to Texas, they had, um, smoked sirloin, man. And it's like, um, at the steakhouse, Brian, it was like, whatever temperature you like your steak, you got to get here at like a certain time of the day because they just throw in the smoker and they just let yeah. it go all day. So if you want your stuff rare, you got to get there early. Yeah. If you want it medium, you got to get there in the yeah. middle and, and so on and so forth, man. Like smoke sirloin. Yeah. Yes, please. We also had a smoked turkey a couple years ago for Thanksgiving okay. and it was delicious. Man. My dad did a deep fried, th- those deep fry ones that you can do yeah. that are like super dangerous. Cause they'll just explode. Yes. He did one of those yes. ones. That was phenomenal. I would never do it. Yes. Cause it's just so, you know, to me, it's just, it's just dangerous to me for me. I just get paranoid about stuff like that. You know what I mean? I and plus it. I have a firefight and my wife used to be a firefighter 
And so like, she's super like, Oh no, you're not doing that. Like, you know how many, do you know how many, like this is what I get from her. I don't get it as much as I used to. Cause she's now like, you know, like 13, 14 years removed from it. But she would give me one of these. Do you know how many times we had to answer calls? I'm like, okay, fine, babe. I, I give up. I don't want that anymore. You know what I mean? Like you win. But I think she's ruined me with that, you know, because, uh, because of all the time she's told me about how, how bad it, uh, how bad, how dangerous it is. So, I think she's uh she's tainted it. But those were that was a really good turkey. A really yeah. good turkey. I, I'm not a turkey guy either, but that smoked turkey was good. I, know. I enjoyed that. That was the lot, only thing so. that made me gave me pause about hiring you, Ryan, is I just remembered that turkey conversation we had the the no the November before. <laughs> just had too many bad turkeys, man. Like it's so it can get so I think dry. that's it's the just, issue. Ugh. Is that is you know what what we did, Ryan, that has helped is yeah. we started about six or seven years ago. We found this recipe for a really awesome rub. That when it, it it cooks, it like makes the um the skin really hard, like, yeah. like crunchy. Yeah. But the way it is, it keeps all the juices inside. And so it's like a super juicy. Like we used I used to when I make turkey, I would like just baste it like every hour. Just yes. the only way I could keep it from not drying out because it is very easy to dry out turkey. But when we found that rub, man, we haven't had a dry turkey since. And I and I, yeah. I'll baste it once in the middle just because I like to get the juices in there. I like the flavor of that. But you, you yeah, need so to try. It's, it's you about need to try smoke though. You need yeah. to try smoked turkey. Oh, I'm it tastes, sure it's it really tasted, good. It tasted more like ham than it did like turkey. Man. Oh really? Super yes, I'm, juicy, I'm not a huge yeah. ham fan. I'm not a huge fan ham yeah. fan either. But that thing was good, man. I have to try it. Really I have to give that a try. All right, let's get back to on track with some football stuff. But yes, uh, hey, and by the way, to all of you out there who are dads who have had that tremendous honor of being fathers. Happy Father's Day to you. I actually called my dad yesterday and, um, you know, just thanked him for being an amazing father. I have, I have, I'm very blessed, Ryan. I, you and I are both had great dads. I know my dad was yeah. always my biggest fan, uh, always pushed me to the things he knew that I loved and wanted to be great at, has always been supportive. I mean, it, my parents would drive, you know, at 10 hours to watch me coach. You know what I mean? Like, so I was I was very blessed to have a father. I do realize that a, a lot of my success comes from the fact that that God did bless me with the parents that I have. I have an amazing dad. And for all of you dads out there, uh, you all have such a tremendous impact on our present and future world by the way you raise your sons. So thank you all. And same with your daughters, uh, obviously. And so I want to thank you all for that, for being for being parents and wish you guys hope you guys have a great day and make sure that your kids and your misses spoil you on father's day like ryan that's said it. i'm not grilling nothing on father's day, <laughs> not father's a thing, day. Man. Not a thing. Nope. Nope. i got All some right. work to get done but i'm not yeah. grilling on here we father's go day. yeah here absolutely go. <laughs> absolutely we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Garen Nutson says, any chance of us flipping anybody this cycle? Thank you for the super chat, by the way, Garen. I just started out with that. I love to see us put the fear in other schools' eyes when we come calling. I mean, we, we keep talking about Caleb Beasley. I think that's the easiest flip candidate in this class right now. I mean, it's – I think if, if Caleb Beasley did not commit to Tennessee when he did – Right now, I think that a lot of people would be like, Notre Dame's the leader for Caleb Beasley. Like, I, that's, that's truly what I, how I think that this would have process would have gone. I think that, you know, you're going to potentially get him on campus, obviously, in an official visit setting. And if you do, then I think that Notre Dame has a good chance of flipping Caleb Beasley, yeah, especially if you, if you have success on the field, especially. And maybe Tennessee is a good team, but maybe not quite as good as last year. Then, like, I, I'd be surprised at that point if Caleb was sticks with Tennessee. So yeah. I think he's the easiest flip candidate. Yeah, this year. Agree. The other flips Ryan are going to be determined on how they finish. I mean, yes. look, if they go out and get Gear- Carson Carter, Nelson and Gearby Lambert and, and let's say they get Malcolm Ziegler and Bronte Johnson and Kingston. I mean, you don't, you don't need to flip anybody other than Caleb. I mean, you're literally landed everyone <laughs> you done. need to land. I mean, you're, <laughs> right, right. like what else are you going to do? I mean, there's no flipping that needs to be done. You got everybody you wanted, you know? Oh, oh and Justin Scott, same with Justin Scott, you know, yeah. he's a kid that I could see a potential flip. I, I I'll say this, like, look, I, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, if he commits to a Southern school this summer, then he add him to my list of potential flips but i truly believe the best thing that could have happened in Notre Dame was georgia making a hard push for him and potentially keeping him from committing now if he he may commit this weekend or this next week after because his miami visits this weekend yeah but I, notre dame will stay on him and i still think in the end i still think they're going to get that one done as long as they stay on him i think they're going to get that one done i just well you know you know cam williams will keep one. you know cam oh, williams yeah. will keep recruiting him yeah but it doesn't <laughs> matter it's got to be yeah. it's got to be coach freeman it's got to be chad yeah. it's got to be coach washington it's got to be al golden it's got to start doing his job you know that's going to be the key that's going to yes. really be the key I absolutely love this response right here. I got to find this comment from Patrick Fleming. This was phenomenal. I, I, I literally almost started laughing during the show, Ryan, uh, while you were talking. And I, I had to hold it back because I didn't want you to think I was laughing at you and uh, what you were saying. This is from Patrick Fleming. He says, my wife doesn't like turkey. I asked her why. She said, because it tastes like turkey. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> fair answer. I think that's part. I think that's part of it too. Patrick is like, yeah. if you put if you put a good chicken in front of me and a good turkey, like give me yeah. chicken, man. Like, don't like the taste. I'm a very yeah. picky eater, so I can sympathize with that. But I thought that was a hilarious. That was a great answer. It's funny. That's a great answer. Here, here's one. Nathan Milton asks Ryan, "What's your favorite funniest IB show bloopers?" There's been a few. I'm trying uh, to remember. Uh, there was one we just absolutely lost it. What was it? Somebody said something. It was like, well, that's not what I meant. Oh man. Well, I remember. I remember one where you were running a couple minutes behind, so you told me to get the show started. I had everything set up perfectly, and then the show started. And I think it was uh, one of. Uh, I think it was the CFB Nation guy. Uh, CFB. Um, the CFB oh yeah, CFB All Nation American. guys. Yeah. Uh, CFB All America. Excuse me. They went. I just combined IB Nation and CFB All America into one thing. So the CFB All America guys came in the room set up their podcast so as soon as i started we had the cfb all american background i'm like yeah. wait what is happening right now? Like, it's lost this? its mind i was like i swear i just set this up properly i just don't understand 
Yeah, uh, that's. There's been times where you say things you're like, "Yep, that's not what I meant." I remember Vince one time said something, and it's like, "Man, I hope nobody takes that <laughs> for what." Because like what he said was like really not right. I've done that a couple times. Like, mm, that's not what I meant. Uh, there's been something like that. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I don't. I don't remember all my my miss ups, but I do remember we've had some really good laughs on the show. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Oh, no doubt oh. about that. <laughs> they, they just said me pronounce it Rook Aurora Rose. <laughs> <Aurora, that was, laughs> I just I don't know what was so funny about that. I think it was your facial expression when you said you're like Rook Aurora whatever. You know, I lost it. I lost it. Oh god. Oh my goodness. It's even funnier because you sent me the pronunciation after that, and I was like, I actually did that. You got it right. That was the funny thing is I found a video and I said that weren't you on big? It was when you were on your. It was the beginning of your paternal leave, wasn't it? And I found a video of them saying his name, and it was exactly how Ryan said it in the show. Pretend like you're in Scooby Doo, man. Sarcastically said in the show. So yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. Right, uh, new life 007 said, Brian, what's your favorite long gun? Well, I it, some people I know don't consider AR 15s as long guns, but if you do, uh, I have to say the only one that I have right now, uh, that I've shot a lot is I have an MMP Sport 2, but I did this past week buy a new one. I got a, a SIG M400 Tread that I took to the range. I went to the range like Tuesday, whatever the night that Blake Hebert announced he was going to be committing. That's the night. I think it was Tuesday. So I dropped my wife off to get uh, the mall to get a massage. And then I went and got, um, I went to the range, which is like right across the street. I've been wanting to buy this rifle for like years. And um, I finally, I went to the range. I was able to shoot it, like try it out. It was like, my groupings were like, really precise so i was like and it felt good and i and it looks good and so i ended up buying that so i think that's going to quickly become my new one but i can't say that it is because i only shot it that once and i haven't shot my new one i'm still waiting on all my my uh accessories to show up before i can get it set up and go to the range but that would be uh that would be my uh my new favorite one but i haven't honestly haven't shot a lot of rifles to be honest with you i'm i've, I've up until the last year, I was always more of a pistol guy, so I have a lot more different types of pistols that I've shot and fired. But uh, I'm starting to get more and more into shooting the, the rifles. Those are a, those are some fun, and I have an outdoor range that I can go to to shoot those. I prefer shooting the rifles outside uh, for a, a lot of reasons. So um, Blake, Blake Ebert was a nice get by Clemson, by the way. It was a nice yes, it was, and him yeah. getting him and Gideon Davidson in the same yes. week yes. was. I'll tell you what, big. man. They, they apparently found their type the last two cycles, but they got a couple kids with some hoses the last two. Yes. I mean, you get Christopher Vizina and then him. I yes. mean, both those kids can yep. spin it, man. Yep. <laughs> can spin Absolutely. it. Absolutely. They're kind of similar right, Ryan, body let's... types too, which is pretty yeah. interesting. Well, look, so. I, you know what I think is going on at Clemson? Yeah. I think what happened at Clemson, and I, Ryan, you and I have talked about this before. They went away from what worked. They just started recruiting highly ranked guys. Not guys that fit what they were looking for. So, for example, I think Joseph Ngata is a really good football player. I think Bo Collins is a talented football player. I think they were horrible fits for the Clemson offense. And so they'd recruit these guys, but then, Ryan, they wouldn't change the offense to fit what those guys did. They kept trying to run the same freaking off. Like against Notre Dame this year, why are you throwing bubble screens and now screens to Bo Collins against Notre Dame? Like, why? Why are you doing that? 
It, it doesn't make any sense, you know. And now, an outside vertical stretch receiver, you're throwing bubble. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're yes. right. You're right. And, and so I just felt like they were recruiting. They went away from what worked for them. You know, yes, bring in some big time players. Justin Ross was a big time player. Trevor Lawrence was sure. a big time player. They got plenty of those big time. Dexter Lawrence was a highly ranked guy, but they mixed those guys in with the the under the radar recruits. They were really good at evaluating, and I yep. think that as they lost some coaches, their evaluation took a backseat, and they started getting just recruit highly ranked guys that didn't fit their system. I don't think DJ Uyunglele, I thought that was a horrible pickup for Clemson. Not because I don't think he's a talented kid. I think he has some talents. What you and I have been saying, Ryan, for two, three years, oh, he's got he was a, a horrible fit for that offense. And that's partly why I'm really curious to see what he's going to do this year. My only concern is sometimes, we saw this with Dan Christ, when you get ruined by one school, the other school is not going to salvage you. It's just, yeah. just not going to happen, right? Yeah. So I'm hoping DJ can be salvaged because everything I've ever heard about that kid is he's a first class young man, like just a really good young man. I know, Ryan, you've heard that in the draft circles as well. I've heard that yeah. in coaching circles. Like he's a great kid. So yes. he's one of those kids you root for. And I'm hoping he does well this year because I like Jonathan Smith as a coach. And they they won eight, nine, I mean, seven, eight, nine games last year with really mediocre to below average quarterback play. They have oh, a good yes. old line. Like somebody on on Twitter the other day was like, I can't believe that this one outlet ranked the Oregon State offensive line is ahead of Notre Dame's. And I'm like, okay, I'd probably take Notre Dame's, but uh, you're only saying that because it's Oregon State. Have you actually watched that offensive line play? They have at least three guys with offensive line that will be drafted in the first four rounds. Yes. And and their response was like, Notre Dame went out and ran with no quarterback play. I'm like, yeah, Oregon State. (laughs) I get get, Yes, yeah. They had had some – what was it, Gustafson or something filled yeah. in for Chance Nolan because Chance Nolan yeah. was so bad. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been bad. It's, it's been a really, really good offense. He's done a really nice job there. And I think if they if they allow DJ to be a, a key, a cog in the wheel, right, or spoke in the wheel or whatever the expression is, that'll be better for him. And But it's it's more of a throw the down the field. It's more a little bit more yes. pro style in its approach. Yep. I think he'll do well. So, and that's a big part of recruiting, Ryan, is getting guys that fit. It's not just about getting talented players. you got to get talented players that fit what you do. Yep. And I think these last couple cycles, people are like, well, Clemson's not recruiting as well. And I'm like, I disagree. I think Clemson's recruiting better the last couple of years than they were when they were signing top three to five classes because they had zero teams make up their two title teams. Zero top five, zero top five, I believe it was zero, maybe one. But I believe it was zero top five te- classes to that one that were part of their first championship, and I believe only one that was part of their second championship. Their highest-ranked class was the one they signed the year after they won the title, and that, mm-hmm. that's that been part of their decline because they got highly-ranked recruits, but they didn't find the right fits. Ronan Hannafin's like exactly what Clemson used to go out and get a lot of, you know what I mean? And then finding these big-armed quarterbacks that can move, and that's the thing. DJ's not really a mover. He is a pocket quarterback. Chris Vazina can run around and make plays. Blake Hebert's a little bit more of a pocket guy, but he can move around a little bit as well. Uh, Gideon Davidson is a big pickup for them. So they've gone back to the the faster, the shiftier, the 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 make plays in space. Like, have you seen the Tyler Smith kid they got in this 2023 class, Ryan? I love that yeah. kid. The South Carolina kid, not ranked real high, but yeah. he's that Artavis Scott, catch the ball, shifty, make plays after. I don't know if Artavis Scott's a. I think Amani Rogers probably is a better comp for him than Artavis Scott because I think this kid's got a little bit more juice than Artavis did uh, in the slot. But it, that's what they're getting back to, Ryan. And so I actually think Clemson's doing a really good job. And then, of course, they're still going to get their highly ranked guys. But, like, their D-line yeah. class last year, they needed last year's D-line class, man. 
they've been kind of getting away from, you know, the, the, the power edge guys that they had had so much success with you getting Vic Burley and Tamorian Parker and those kind of guys. I, I think, I think Clemson's getting back to recruiting like they used to. And yeah. we'll have a question about this later as it relates to Notre Dame, Ryan, but I actually like what they've been doing. I really do. Well, and I, I think the wide receivers, they just had no diversity for a while. I think that's exactly. a big thing. Last year they got that Antonio Williams kid who ended up mm-hmm. having a pretty good freshman year. It's like they hadn't had that guy in a couple years. It's like that's what they were missing. And if you know, Troy Staccato just... doesn't get healthy, he brings sort of that vertical juice that they were missing to the table. And hopefully they can get him back healthy too. I like how we went like immediately transitions from favorite guns to Clemson recruiting. That's what I love about the Friday. You mentioned Blake Hebert, man. That was your fault. No, no, it's your perfect. Fault. I love it. That's what I love about the Friday, the, yeah. the Friday mailbag, man. That was not an yeah. insult at all. That was like, that was an absolute compliment. It's one of the thing I love about this show. Here's one, Ryan. This, this will be a good one. And John said, John, a one, what is your favorite passing concept scheme? Flood levels for vert smash other. Well, so I'm for me, I guy. think Big those are guy. sometimes two different things. Yeah. So to me, four verts can be a play or it can be a concept. Smash is a con- is a scheme, not a concept. The concept is levels. Smash yeah. is a levels play. Yeah. Uh, it's not a it, – it, so to me, I'm a big fan of vertical stretch concepts in today's game, right? Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with horizontal – stretch concepts but ironically four verts is a horizontal stretch not a vertical stretch vertical stretch is basically you're stacking routes on top of each other it's high low concepts i'm a huge fan of high low concepts now you can get to them a lot of different ways you can do them like flood concepts ryan where they're like on the same side of the field or you can do things like i'm a big fan of like sale concepts and things like that where you're using kind of the backside to like clear things out and then you bring that over concept and then you've got something to that's technically, I mean, that's a, to me, I treat that as a high, low concept. It's just not the same. So when I was a pass game coordinator, we would have our concepts, like our call, we'd have smash, curl flat, double posts, uh, you know, out inside out cons or outside, you know, go out concept, you know, outside go route with an inside uh, out concept. We have our option cuts and then backside, we'd always tag with some sort of high, low, our base call. So if we just called, you know, like dolphins, right. Our base backside you know we'd have the call to the right i actually that was when i was at duquesne i kind of liked having names with like you know roger lucky you know r and l type of names things like that uh which we could do back then because everything was you know you'd send a guy in with the play it we would have to change it if we were like in today's game when you're signaling everything in but anyway so yeah if you call the concept to the right and we don't tag it with anything. The backside automatically, number one, runs a backside post, and number two runs a, a, a crosser route. That's a, the automatic, this is what you – we don't call it – we don't tag you with anything. This is what you do backside. So if we wanted to do double smash, we'd call mirror, something like that, you know. Uh, or we'd call – then we'd have different ways to tag it. So I liked – you could do a cross and then a deep in. You could do a, an, an in cut with a cross coming underneath. So we had all types of backside high-low concepts that we would do that I really like tagging uh, to different things. Nowadays, you can – the way that teams do defenses is you can almost have two concepts running at once, and then you decide where you're going to go with the ball based on the pre-snap look. Uh, you know, flood is a concept I'm a big fan of, but with anything, it, there's 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 going to be weeks where this just isn't a good week for this. Yeah, you know, th- There's going to be some weeks, if you're playing teams that are playing a lot of cover three with a really active buzz outside, Ryan, then smash isn't a great concept. Because yeah. if you got Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa playing Rover, 
or playing to, the, to that side and you've got a you know good corner, the corner is going to eat up the corner route. The corner back is going to eat up the corner route. And Jeremiah Wusukormo is going to get up underneath that smash concept before I get the ball off. You know, so it's not a great week. If I'm playing a team that's playing cover two, I can get that concept off because the corner ends up becoming most likely sort of my take the top off route. And now I'm reading basically smash to, to option or smash to the sale, something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but if I'm playing cover two, then I'm running smash all day on you. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to attack you with that all game long and then have some variations off of it. One of my favorites was if we, if we hit you with a couple smash concepts, even if we didn't, well, I'd say this, if we had a couple smash concepts open, even if our quarterback didn't throw it, I guarantee we're going to come back with a smash post. I promise you we're going to come back with that. Because once that guy starts biting on that, we're taking that sucker backside. And then we would tag something backside or we'd smash. So we'd fake the corner and bring it to the post. And then we'd do something backside to try to occupy that backside safety mm-hmm. to make sure he couldn't then come over uh, and, and, and influence it. But like, man, we would, we loved, loved running that concept. And you can, you can have, that's why a lot of teams will have that nod at the top of concepts like that, because so many teams will play two to the boundary now and kind yeah. of play four to the field and you can do it's a lot easier to influence that field safety now to be able to hit that backside nod post a lot easier now than you could have back when when I coached because if you're playing cover two you're just playing cover two I mean that's just kind of you know because they're one double a d3 you didn't have the intricacy of concepts like they have the division one level where now it's like you can't just assume you're going to get a pure cover two and if you do that team's probably doing it because they got dudes (laughs) you know what I mean so they can get away with that like the pattern match stuff has made some of that stuff harder to do. Yep. You know, if you can run that really effectively, but I, I like stuff like that. And I'm, I'm a big fan too, Ryan. I wish more Notre Dame would do more post snap switches with their concepts too. I like, I think that's something that tennis, that's one of the best things that Josh Heupel does. Everybody talks about, they have success because of how wide they are. I don't think that's really it. Cause a lot of teams are wide and don't have the success he has. They almost, they switch constantly post-snap, which yep. anytime you can get secondary guys to start having to communicate and you've got the speed that they have, the slightest, is that my guy? You're done. You're hmm. done. And I wish Notre Dame would do more stuff like that. I like this. I'm not saying the spacing doesn't have an impact. I think it does. I just don't think that's the reason Tennessee did it uh, was so good. And the other thing that they do a good job of, Ryan, and you may know the way that people, the, the way that they say it now, uh, like let, they tear their vertical stuff. So like you have an immediate guy that's like kind of going deep. And then you have some other guy that's kind of like in trail mode uh, on yeah. that same path. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think they do some really good stuff with that so, as well. So it almost it's becomes really a level. It almost becomes a levels. Concept, yeah. But I don't want to say levels different. because yeah. it's not yeah. what we traditionally, it's like, it's literally sure. like a tra- I'm trailing you. I'm getting in your, yes. getting your exhaust and then you take everybody with you. And then I'm just kind of, coming out here and just yes you know i I really like that quick game wise there's some really good like kind of triangle concepts that you that i that i kind of like uh but um those are just some different things that i that i'm a big fan of and i think we'll see some more of that stuff this year at notre dame i really i I always love now when people are like um you know are they a zone or they're a man team i'm like uh well if you're a pattern match team you're technically a zone team but like you're playing mostly man when you are when you really sit down and think about it yeah i mean john to, to the question though it's like what does the team run defensively, right? Like, are they a more zone-heavy team? Are they a more man-heavy team? Like, right. if it's a man-heavy team, like, 
give me some mesh all day, man. Like I, I mean, right. I was a linebacker, right, John? So like, there's nothing worse than running cr- against crossers and trying to have to communicate and trying to redirect and not run into another linebacker. It's like a level defender on mesh. Like, and you can do so many things out of mesh too. It's not even just like you're trying to get the the crossing routes open. It's like you can run mesh sit, you can run mesh sail. Like you can just you mm-hmm. can do anything out of mesh, which is just yeah. absolutely incredible. So mesh against man, absolutely. Zone, I'm a big levels guy. Big yeah. levels guy. I, I'm a, I love levels and I love RPO as well, John. Because for me, I think about what would mess with me the most. Right? It's like making a defender wrong because you have to play in between. That's the thing that makes levels so tough. Is that you are trying to play in between routes. But then they're playing off of you. It's like, okay, I came up too far on the on the short route. I'm going to throw to the second, the, to the intermediate route. If I stay back on the intermediate, I'm going to take the, yeah. the flat or the shorter route all day. You know, like it's just, I try to think of things that would make me insane. And insane mm-hmm. is I don't want to play against mesh as a linebacker in man coverage. And I do not want to see levels or RPO. Like that stuff yeah. drives you insane because you're literally – playing off of what I did wrong. What did I do wrong? And you make it look stupid. So that's yeah. a couple of stuff that I really like. The other thing too, Ryan, is some of the stuff, like you talk about mesh. I'm not yeah. running a million mesh concepts if I got Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin as my two outside <laughs> receivers, right? Like, so your personnel has to fit into that as well. And that was something that was, that's what we're talking about with Clemson. They're trying to run concepts that are built for fast guys vertically or shifty guys inside. And they didn't have those type of guys. Uh, so you, you, you're, you have to also be willing to adapt to the specifics of your personnel. Yes. Like Notre Dame can't do a lot of the stuff that Tennessee did because Tennessee was able to get away with that stuff because Jalen Hyatt can just move. Burn. Yeah. Just right. Burn. You, you, yeah. you asked Jaden Thomas to do that and you're, you're, you're a bad coach. There are things Jaden Thomas can do that. You're not going to ask Jalen, Jaden Hyatt to do because Jaden Thomas is bigger and stronger and a better route runner and all those type of things. Right. Cause Jalen Hyatt's not much of a route runner. He's just fast. You know, so that factors into it as well. You have to factor into what specifically is my personnel as well. Yeah. And good coaches so, adapt, obviously. I remember yep. early, Brian, you remember how much under Urban Meyer, how much Ohio State ran mesh? Like it was just an insane oh God, yes. amount of mesh. Ryan Day doesn't run much mesh anymore because he's adopted different – like he doesn't have the Paris Campbells of the world anymore. He has the Curtis Samuels of the of the world he has the Marvin Harrison Juniors. I mean, I mean, I mean Kabuka could run some mesh stuff and be the after-catch guy if they wanted him to, but, like, they're much more – I'm going to ISO routes instead of trying to, you know, get the rub routes and get the things over the middle as far as crossers. Like, good coaches adapt, and that's just always how it is. And some guys nope. are not good at adapting. The one thing – I. I always talk about Gary Patterson in a positive light, obviously, Brian, because I thought he was a genius from like the four two five stuff. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say is that Gary Patterson, after everyone started figuring out the four two five a little bit, I don't think he really adapted no. well to that. I don't think he really no. did. But so he was a he was a revolutionary coach because he basically perfected a scheme. But when everyone started running it, teams started getting more of a a beat on it, and I don't think he adjusted incredibly well to that regard. So great coaches adjust, man. No doubt about that. I think Rich Rod had a similar problem on the other side of the ball. Yeah. I think Rich Rodriguez was a revolutionary coach going all the way back to the Glenville State days, but he never ad- adapted. Everybody else started doing what he – and Chip Kelly went through a little bit of that. I think that's something that hurt Chip Kelly early on, but now you look at Chip Kelly now, the stuff he's doing at UCLA is not very much like what he was doing at Oregon. 
at all. Yeah. And now yeah. he's a genius again, right? I mean, his stuff is, I mean, just Ryan, you watch the film, like, man, this guy's just so freaking smart. He Which does this looks crazy nothing stuff like what he did game, Oregon, man. Anymore, other than formationally. <laughs> yeah. There's some formational stuff that'll look the same, but spread's a spread, right? Like shotgun, shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. But schematically, they're way different now than they uh, were at Oregon. Crazy different. That's yeah. what good coaches do. That, yeah. it, it really is. That's what good coaches do. All right. That's good, good stuff today, y'all. And we're just piling up the questions here. Let's let's keep yes. going here. Next question is from John A1, back to back. Which schools would you say are the con- in the conversation for having a top 10 coaching staff? Good question. I mean, very good question. Uh, it's hard for me to argue with the staff that Michigan has put together the last couple of years. And, and some of those yeah. hires I didn't like at the time. I'm like, you're promoting Sharon Moore to defend the offensive line coach? Like, Really? <laughs> I don't think the dude had like ever coached offensive line before. He's like a tight ends coach. He's done a yeah. phenomenal job. Yes. Uh, Jesse Minters turned out to be a really good. Now he inherited a pretty good situation, but he did some good stuff last year that I liked. That yes, that I'll, I'll say this, and I I don't think Michigan fans are going to love this, Ryan. They're going to okay. probably disagree with me on it. I don't think Michigan was as talented last year as people think that they were defensively. Defensive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Defensively. Like you go back and look at their roster last year and compare it to like that 2016 defense that was phenomenal. It's not even close, especially on the Sean Gary and Chase. That Winovich was the Taco and Charlton and Chris oh, Wormley yeah. and like yeah. all those dudes on that 2016 yeah. defense. Um, you had Jabril Peppers on that team, Ryan, in the secondary. I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you some of the guys on that defense. You had Ben Gideon, had a was a really good player, Mike McCray, Jabril mm-hmm. Thomas, Ryan Glasgow, Taco Charlton, Chase Winovich. Yes. Chris Wormley, Maurice Hurst. I mean, Jordan game. Lewis, Rashawn Gary was a freshman on that team. I mean, that team was loaded. Devin Bush was a freshman on that team. That team was loaded, Ryan. Yeah. This yeah. last year's team was not like that. They did some really good. Now, A, they played a pretty weak schedule. But even in even against Penn State and Ohio State, the two best teams they played, their defense did pretty well those games. And against Ohio State, they struggled a little bit earlier, but then made some really nice late second quarter halftime adjustments and just shut Ohio State down in the second half. I think Jesse Minter did a really nice job last year. He's put together a quality staff at Michigan, right? It's hard for me not to have them in the top 10 coaching staffs, in my opinion. It, it really is hard for me to do that. And, and under the radar one that I would 100% be in the top 10, in my opinion, is Utah. I think yes. Kyle Whittingham, Morgan Scally, and Andy Ludwig is absolutely Their line coach is outstanding, yes. in my yes. opinion. I think I think Mike Norvell is starting to put together a really quality staff at Florida State. Yeah. I think yeah. he's done a really nice job there. I think Dave Clawson has a really good, for that level, a really good staff. I think Nick Tabaka is still their offensive line coach. I got a chance to meet him. He's a, used to coach at Defiance. Really good dude. Uh, Warren Ruggiero is like that. What he does is like perfect for what for who they are. Yes. I think Mike Elko's in the process of building up a nice staff, but he's made some hires that I like. Uh, let's see the Big Twelve. I think. I think. I'll tell you what. He's got to prove himself a head coach, but he's made some really quality hires. Is Steve Sarkeesian at Texas? Texas, yeah. He's agree. made some. Kyle Flood's one of the best O line coaches. I'm a big fan of Pete Kwiatkowski. I think he's going to get that defense turned around if they're willing to stick with. It. I love the defenses he built at Washington. They started to decline on defense when he handed the keys over to Jimmy Lake, and then kind of went from there. So he he's a guy that I think has put together a really good staff. James Franklin's staff has improved 
the last couple of years. I like Yursich as a you know the old line coach is starting to come around. He's still a bit of a question mark for me, but it, it, that's coming around. I think LSU is a quality staff for the most part. For the most part, but if yeah. you only look at defensive staffs. Iowa's got a, one of the best coaching staffs in football. Oh, the problem is their offensive <laughs> staff is just not very good, especially yes. the head coach's son. He's yeah. just Phil, not very Phil, good. Phil Parker by himself makes a great defensive yeah. staff. So yeah, I like – you know who else staff I think is very underrated is BYU has a really nice staff. They've put together a yeah. really quality coaching staff, Ryan. Much like you talk about Utah, it's not as good as that, but like under a sleek, like a sneaky, really good coaching staff. I like what they, uh, they love the Rose C, the A Rod guy. Yeah, he's well, a, he's the guy I remember I, that it was yeah, on Roger. sort of. He, yeah, here's the list of guys I would look at if I was Notre Dame. He was on my list of guys that I would look at. I like some of the stuff he does. Uh, I think uh, I think that. Um, I, I'm drawing a complete blank on his name. The coach at um, Washington. Oh, DeBoer. Kalen oh, my DeBoer. gosh. Kalen DeBoer, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, I think he's starting to put together a really nice staff, including some guys that I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know a lot about Ryan Grubb before the last couple of years, but I was a big Jamarcus Shepard fan. You know, I thought yeah. I was, thought he was a very good coach. So, yeah, there, there's some good staffs. SEC, you know, I think, I think Brian Kelly's staff is – He's put together a quality staff. I, I mean, I'd take yeah. his staff over Alabama staff right now, to be yeah. honest with you. Like Mike Denbrock, Matt House did a good mm-hmm. job for most yep. part. See what he, how he improves. Yep. Yeah. Their yeah. D line, their O line coaches did a solid job last year. You know, room for improvement. Sure. So there's, there's, there's some quality staffs. You know, there's, there's, I'm sure. Oh, uh, here's a guy that's put together a really nice staff is uh, Mark Stoops. I'll yeah. say this about especially, Kentucky. Especially get Liam, Liam Cohen back. They're coached really well. Yeah, they're coached very well. That's a good, well-coached football team. They just don't have the players that other people do. They just yeah. In Georgia, I mean, look, Georgia's got to be in there. Kirby's done a great job putting staff together. I mean, we're saying them last because I think to me that was kind of a no-brainer. Like here's here's a misconception that people had about Alabama when they were rolling and about Georgia now. They're not just winning because they have way better players than everybody else. They're a very well-coached football team. Now, my question is going to be: Will that continue? Post, like we're not say not post, but like now that you've got Mike Bobo as your OC, that's a legitimate question for me. I was never a big Mike Bobo fan as a coach, and uh, what Todd Munkin did for them was outstanding. Because before Munkin came along, they were just this dull offense that had great defenses, and that's why they couldn't win at all. Yeah, you know. And so now you're in a situation where they've they've got a they had a really legit offensive coach. And at least from a scheme standpoint, I don't. I had heard he wasn't overly well liked, but at least scheme wise, is pretty good. We'll see if Mike Bobo can do that. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll find we'll find that out. I've heard we'll Munkin's a little bit of a strange cat, but yeah, he's a very good offensive yep. guy. So. And that's all they need. They just needed a guy to point those guys in the right direction. That's yeah. really all. That they what need. he did with quarterbacks over the last couple of years is pretty oh my insane. Gosh, yes. Pretty insane. When you win a t- two titles with Stetson Bennett, you're a heck of a coach. Yes. You're a heck. That's, of a, that's a bet in a fourth round pick, man. It's wild. <laughs> so was Ian Book. I'll just leave it right well, there. I, w- I would even say Ian Book's more talented than Stetson Bennett personally. Physically right? talented, yeah. sure. At least, but yeah. the, if Ian Book had Stetson Bennett's guts as a attacking yeah. the defense, when sure. I say guts, Ian Book is one of the toughest quarterbacks Notre Dame ever had physically. Mentally is where my question was because he was so unwilling to go after people. If he was as aggressive as a, maybe this is better because guts, guts to me comes across as an insult on the end, like like he's not tough, and I don't mean that at all. If he was as aggressive 
as Stetson Bennett. It's probably a better way of saying it. Doesn't sound as insulting. Yeah. Then I think he would have been a very good college quarterback. And that's what was so frustrating about Ian because his physical tools were a lot better than people gave him credit for. Oh, he didn't have a very good arm. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He doesn't have a bazooka. He doesn't have Trevor Lawrence arms, but Ian Book can throw the ball down the field when he for wants six to. Foot, for a six foot guy, it's a really yeah. good arm, honestly. He can spin it. <laughs> yeah. He just wouldn't do it. And yeah. that's what was so frustrating about it. Oh. We had a next next question from Colton Simpson who says, is defensive oh, – sorry. sorry. Is defensive recruiting – you're fine. Is defensive recruiting usually boom or bust at this point in recruiting cycle? I feel like Notre Dame usually has at least one of their big-time recruits committed. Justin Scott, Kingston, Villamalasa, and Bronte Johnson still undecided. Ryan, I was having this conversation last night, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. What I was saying to a, a buddy last night was – they have to finish strong or this defensive class is going to be considered a disappointment because they would have had some big misses. Yeah. But I don't think this is a bad, def- if they just finish with what they have right now and add Bronte, they will have some misses from a number standpoint, it's safety linebacker, defensive tackle. However, I do think there's a lot of talent in this defensive class that people aren't giving it enough credit for. I think Cole Mullins and Logan Thomas are very talented players with higher floors than Bryant Young or Bryce Young, but Bryce Young is one of those boomer bust kids that could maybe never do anything or become his dad. I mean, that's literally the the, the potential that he has. I don't know if Teddy Rizak's ever going to play at Notre Dame, but that kid can freaking run. He's got upside. Bodie Cahoon has upside. Lawrence Leonard Moore is one of the most underrated players in the country at cornerback, in my opinion. Like, there are some, in my opinion dudes or guys that have potential Bodie Cahoon is not a dude right now because he's still learning how to play football he has the physical tools to be a dude in my opinion Ryan down the road Leonard Moore to me is a really talented football player you had Bronte Johnson to this conversation and who we feel good about it there are some legitimate gap closers in this class either now or upside wise the problem is there's too many holes that's the issue and that's what the close is going to be determined by. But so I would not call it this class, even if they strike out a bust, I'd say it's disappointing because you had holes. I would say that the coaches that had those holes, it needs to be addressed. But I also think we're, we're kind of overlooking that there's some really good football players in this class on the defensive side of the ball. It's not good enough to close the gap and, and be championship level because of the misses. If you don't close well, but there's some really, really good football players in this class for Nuri. And they complement, to me, last couple classes very well. Well, I think that the big problem with 2024 is that there's just been so many missteps, right? Like, there's just been a lot defensively, especially. And people know that, right? Like, they know the missteps at linebacker recruiting. They know the missteps at defensive line recruiting. They know the, the missteps the at The process has been flawed. Yes, yes. Yes. Doesn't doesn't mean that the end result is not going to be very good. It still has the potential to be very good. But we know that there were some recruits that probably got away because you didn't do the right thing at the right time. There were some players that you should have pushed for earlier in this Mm -hmm. process. If they would have went after – if they would have had slightly more foresight and they would have gotten on Malcolm Ziegler, for instance, maybe a month or two earlier, maybe you're in a completely different spot right now. If you got in on Justin Scott a month or two earlier, maybe he's committed to Notre Dame at this present moment. Like there's just some things 
I just think we're very bad missteps in this class. That does not mean that it's going to end up bad because again, I just said it as, as disappointing as safety recruiting has been again, if you have a dynamite visit with Malcolm Ziegler and let's say it ends up being Malcolm Ziegler, Bronte Johnson, Kennedy Erlacher, one other player than maybe Davis Andrews, who's going to go on his mission. You're like, dude, that's a dang good safety group, man. That's way better than last year. Like that's a really good group, but we know that DeMello Jones, whose uncle played at Notre Dame, who was interested in visit, they never had, they never were able to convince him to come up to, no. to campus. They never, were never able to get Jalen McClain to come up to campus before he was already committed to Ohio State. And the all we lane. heard was right. All all we heard was Jalen McClain's going to Oregon because he wants a payout. But then he goes to Ohio State, and you're like, that's wasn't obviously the. And I had heard Penn State was in even better position than Oregon at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah, yep. there's the, the process was flawed. Very flawed. But I think the problem is when we we as fans, Marcus Freeman needs to be 100% focused on the process. Yes. And then how to get even better results. But I but but what we need to not do as fans is then start putting the process issues onto the the class. Meaning like, hey, there's some really good players in this class. Really good players. That but they got to take it to the next level. And that's where I'm coming from because Logan Thomas and Cole Mullins and Bryce Young are going to be one of the most talented defensive end classes in the country. No question, in my opinion. A little bit more projectable with two of those three kids. I think Cole Mullins is just a dude. I do. Your linebacker class, if if you get Kingston Viliyama Asa, you got a great linebacker class for this year because it's not a very good linebacker class nationally. Agree. Agree. You give me two high upside kids and then arguably the highest. I mean, I would argue Kingston is in the conversation for the highest floor of any linebacker in the class. Oh, you don't yeah, miss him. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't yeah. miss on him, and you're good. If you get Justin Scott, this is one of the best defensive line classes Notre Dame has signed in a very long time. If you don't get him, it's disappointing. And that's how close they are right now, Ryan. If like if you get Malcolm Ziegler and Bronte Johnson, you have one of your best safety classes in a long time. Yep. But if you miss them, that's where we're at with the defense right now, is you're really three players away from having one of your best defensive classes in a very long time. So I can't say a class of three dudes away is bust, yeah. but it also doesn't close the gap the way you need it to. If you do miss on all three of those guys, to me, you got to hit on two of those three Bronte, Justin and Kingston. Yeah. And if I had to rank them, it's one, a one B is Justin and Bronte just from Justin's the highest ranked guy right now. But you know, you could argue that safety is the bigger, even bigger need. That's where I'm coming from on that, Ryan. And then Kingston's third, simply because of how well you've recruited the position in the past, in my opinion. Uh, but you don't want to miss on any of them. And if you yes. can hit on – or here's another thought. Even if you miss on Kingston, then get Keyshawn Flowers. Well, I was going to say, I think the difference between those three players is that the, the – I don't call my backup option, but the the other options – The guys the board, you turn to if you miss on Kingston, right? right? But like, I, personally, it's just me, and I, you know, people can believe what they want to believe – but if you miss on Bronte Johnson, let's say, the board is bare, man. There's nothing. If you miss on Justin Scott, the board is bare for another right. interior defensive lineman. If you miss on Kingston, while it is a big loss, if you end up with Bradley Shaw in the class, man, that's pretty good, man. Like, I like Bradley right. Shaw. Like, it's still good, you know? Bradley Shaw is a very good linebacker at the high school level. Very good. His film is as good as anybody on the board. The problem is your your the physical projection, right? The size. He's like six foot, six one, two hundred and five pounds. I mean, that, that's the problem. Yeah. 
But that's a whole lot better than just getting some kid that can't play. If you get Keyshawn yes. Flowers, all right, this is one of the most boomer bust linebacker classes I've ever seen, but it's also one of the most lo- athletic and long linebacker classes I've ever seen at Notre Dame. Yep. Right. We're talking about ever seen meaning at Notre Dame. That's where you really got to come down to, man. And and so th- that's why I say, like, if if I think that's a great point, Ryan, that if they miss on Kingston and get a Bradley Shaw or Keyshawn Flowers, you're still okay. Yeah, yeah. you you've got problems. You got to address a linebacker. You do. But you know what? Like, you're adding some dudes that can play. To different, you, you've got the really high floor guy with the lower ceiling in Bradley Shaw, and then you got the two really athletic, high upside guys over there that you're pairing with two years in a row where you you had pretty darn good linebacker classing cl- recruiting. Yeah. But you still gotta you still gotta be able to look at the process, right? To your point, and say, yeah, we ended up okay because we're Notre Dame, right? But we got to be better than this, yeah. and the process got us here, not circumstance. The process got us here. Like I would argue on the other side of the ball, if they missed on Gearby Lambert, that's a big miss. Yes. But I'm just not really willing to bang bang on Joe Rudolph as much yet because I know the I know how it's a different animal when you're recruiting offensive linemen. Yep. It's a different animal. And it's a bad year on the offensive line. Like I was talking with somebody last night. Last year, if you missed on like Notre Dame could miss on, you know, uh on Monroe Freeling and Samson Okanlola and the Caden Proctor and the, the kid that went to Miami and still get Charles Jagasol, right, as a big-time tackle. My point this year is if you miss on Gearby, who you turn to? Right. Not that there's – well, that all these guys – but there's just nobody out there, you know? And, like, Brandon Baker, who's considered the top tackle in his class by some, he's not a top-five tackle in last year's class, right? He's a good player. Yeah, He's, he's a good player, player, but he's not yeah. – Caden Proctor and Samson Okanlola and Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagasaw and those kind of guys. Yep. Rivals has Ian Moore ranked as the number two tackle in the class. He wouldn't be the number two tackle in Notre Dame's 2023 class <laughs> for me. You know what I mean? Because, A, he's not a tackle. Yep. I, I like Sullivan Absher more as a tackle than I like Ian Moore for down there. Because yes, at least Sullivan great. has the athleticism. He's got to learn the position. Ian's and a guard. Size. And he's got right. at least length and size. Ian's yeah. a guard. Yes. Like I'd put I'd put Sam Pendleton at right tackle before I put Ian Ian more because Sam has really good footwork. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's got some length to him. So it's just not a great year. That's a circumstance hurt you. You can't you can't use that excuse at some of these other positions because yes, the circumstance, it's a bad linebacker class is true, but you drop the ball. It's a it's not a great safety class, but you drop the ball, you know, and that's what they're gonna have to address in my opinion, moving forward. We had a super chat from Gregory Perez. Gregory, thank you so much. Do you believe the ease of the 2024 schedule allows for more flexibility at the quarterback position? If not, why? No. Um, Ease of the 24 schedule. I don't think the Notre Dame 2024 schedule is all that easy. Uh, let me let me pull it up. I know they start with A and M, right? That year yeah, at Texas A and M. I was looking it up too. Right, so. Northern Illinois at home at Purdue, home against Miami, home against Louisville, home against Stanford at Georgia Tech, home against Navy, home against Florida State, uh, home against Miami, home against Virginia at USC. That that's I'll say this: it's not as top heavy as this year's, as far as we know. But don't be shocked if like Florida State. Miami are pretty darn good football teams. Don't don't be shocked if Texas A&M is a little bit better either. I'm going to yeah. say this right now, folks. 
if Jimbo Fisher lets Bobby Petrino run that offense, mm-hmm. he's going to have Connor Wegman the next two years. That's going to be a dangerous offense coming into Notre Dame Stadium next, or that Notre Dame's going to be going to their place to kick off the 24 season. I think that being the first game right there, Ryan, takes away any conversation about ease of the 2024 schedule. I mean, two of your first three games are at A&M and at Purdue. So I I don't know that I would call that an easy schedule, in my opinion. I I really don't. It's going to be tough. I think what might ease the – what might allow more flexibility at the position, Gregory, to your point, to your question, Ryan, I think it will require more of something like the ease, the, the 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 flexibility will come from. Okay, you're going to have pretty much your entire skill group coming back on the perimeter. Your yeah. defense might have a chance, you know, depending on who comes back on defense next year. Let's say Riley Mills and Jordan Patel have big years, but they come back, you know, and you you bring a lot of guys back. It's going to be more your your roster related is going to help ease that and allow for more flexibility than than anything about the schedule. That's that's my opinion, right? Well, and and. So when you say flexibility at the quarterback position, Brian, is that saying acquisition of quarterbacks or is that karma? I think so. That's yeah, I think it's okay. more flexibility about it. So, you you know, maybe playing one of just going with the younger guy and, you know, having just, hey, we're going to just go with the younger guy instead of bringing in a portal guy. Gotcha. You know, where if the schedule is super tough, the perception wise is like, dude, you're, you're almost going to have to bring in a portal. You, guy. Have to bring like, you, have, you know yeah. what I mean? So I think yeah. that's kind of how I took it. And Gregory, if we're taking it incorrectly, please let us know. We, we want to gotcha. make sure that we're addressing it correctly. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, obviously. But um, that's my that's my read on it, Ryan. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's. I think that we have to get past the schedule stuff for a second because whether you're a recruit or you're a transfer portal player, because I, I, I just, I mean, this is just from my experience of talking to recruits is that like one of the big pluses to Notre Dame is that they do play a national schedule and they play really good teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, you ask like Carson Hobbs, for instance, of like, what are you most excited about? He's like, that we get to play USC and Clemson and all these games like that's part of the sell to be a part of the Notre Dame program. So I think that, I think that that is actually a, a, if it is perceived that it is a lesser schedule, I think that that is a negative, honestly. I mean, Brian, I mean, we remember the 2021 season, right? Where it was just like, that was the most hollow 11 and one of all time. Like, did anybody enjoy that? Like I didn't enjoy that. Like, cause you knew that team was mm-hmm. a flawed team. I, I personally yeah. would rather it be 2020 three version always, you know, where you're just playing good, good teams every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, the 2021 schedule was just so boring. The there there was a three-year stretch, Ryan, where outside of Georgia and Cincinnati, it was just a in Clemson. And even the Clemson game was kind of watered down. It was one of the worst three-year stretches of regular season football. Now in fairness, I think the 2020 schedule was originally going to be really good. Yeah, you, you had Arkansas on it. You had Wisconsin on it. You're going to play in Lambeau that year. like, And then COVID hit, and it turns into the tr- dumpster fire that it was. And then the Clemson game got ruined because, A, you can have fans there, and then, B, um, you had all the injuries. And then 2019, you have Georgia and Michigan, and after that, it was just a terrible schedule. I mean, just a yeah. really boring, lame schedule. The only ranked team Notre Dame beat in 2019 was Navy. Wow. That's it. They beat two ranked teams in 2020, North Carolina and um, and uh, Clemson. 
Mm-hmm. And then in 2021, they beat zero teams that finished the year ranked. So in a three-year stretch, you beat three teams that finished the, the season in the top 25. That's a pr- Now that is a schedule that gives you some flexibility. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you can just go out talent people. I, I don't know if 2020 f- – I'll say this. If you fi- – if, if you, you almost kind of look at it kind of like the 2018 season that Notre Dame looked at 2018. It was like we just need Brandon to get us through the Michigan game and then we can yeah. make our transition in. I wholeheartedly believe that's what they were doing. You could say that, like, hey, we just need a guy, whoever it's going to be, to get us out of the Texas A&M game. And then you've got, you've got uh, Central Northern Illinois. Per, I mean, Purdue will be a, you know, could maybe be a tough game, but you're going to have way better players than they have. And then you got Miami of Ohio, then you got Louisville, then you got a bye week, then you got Stanford. You might fit Miami in that bye week, perhaps. I'm hoping that they fit Miami in late November. That's what I'm hoping because yeah. there's there's two there's two three buys in there. That they could that they're going to have to fit Miami because Miami's the only game on there that's TBD right now. They could fit it in between the Louisville and Stanford game the first weekend of October, but then that would mean Notre Dame is going five, six, seven, eight, nine straight weeks with no buy. Yeah. So my guess is going to be that they're going to try to fit that in uh, later in the year and then have a buy between Louisville and Stanford. Then you're at Georgia Tech. Then you're home. You're at Navy in New Jersey. It's not really till November when you potentially play Miami, Florida State, USC that the schedule really ramps up. So it's, it, you know, there's some quality teams on there, but they're all teams you should beat if you can just get they're past playing, Texas AM. I mean, they're playing Navy Jersey, Jersey that year. They always play Navy in road games um, in a neutral field, and it's going to be at, I believe, MetLife Met that year. Yeah. Nice. Right. Yeah. You know so uh, <laughs> you and I'll be sitting side by side at that game. <laughs> Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Maybe. Yeah, life's an easy drive, man. Easy yeah, I might drive, have you sitting so. next to somebody else. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I now you look at it, Gregory, it's not going to be a super easy schedule. But now that I look at it, I see where he's coming from, Ryan. I do. I mean, yeah. My first thought is, you know, you don't take anybody for granted. I think it really comes down to how quickly can Jeff Brom get Louisville going. That's really yeah. going to be well and Gre- gregory did follow up in the chat and just said that he's he was asking for like the if you had had more ease to play cj Carr early on if he was the best quarterback yeah and that's kind of that's kind of yeah. where i'm coming from in the end of the, yeah. the the final response is if you can just get through texas a&m then it whether it's minchie or Carr, if you think one of those younger guys is that guy then you know hey just you can make that transition and you'll have some games to kind of ease them into it so that 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 makes a lot of sense, and now that I've kind of we've gone round and round about this, Ryan, I'm starting to kind of come around to the premise of what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, of you know, you get through that opener. There's a lot of games in there that you can go out talent teams where you're not putting it all on your young quarterback's shoulders to where then maybe then he's ready to go by November when the schedule ramps up again. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, he also followed up with this. Uh, he said, "I also want to say." What I love about your shows over others is that y'all allow your fans to guide the discussion. Thank you for the outstanding content. Go Irish. Gregory, thank you very much. Look, here's the deal, man. We thank you for your super chat. You know, Ryan, you and I, if we, if y'all aren't here, it's just two dudes talking ball and making no money off of it. And our, neither one of our wives would allow us to do that. And, and I say that kind of jokingly, but I mean, in seriousness, you know, it, it's about the fans. Now we, we want to build a certain culture and all that kind of stuff, but we can't build that if you guys aren't on board with it. You know what I mean? And 
you know, th these shows would stink if you guys were asking silly questions or, you know, just, okay, we've answered all these questions a million times. It, it amazes me. We'll do hour long mailbags, like three, four days a week. And then we still have a hundred questions that are not repeats that are very good questions. When we get to the mailbag on Friday, it's yeah. nuts. Yes. It, it's like, we're going through all these questions and they keep uh, the, the ones we have started, it keeps growing because <laughs> you're asking them a lot faster than we can answer them, which is partly a me problem. But, um, I appreciate that, man. And, and it, it, it I'll be honest. I look forward to Fridays for two reasons. One, because I don't have to do any show prep. And it's <laughs> nice to have a day where I have to do that. And then two, because yeah. I always know there's going to be something interesting to talk about today. Yep. And yeah. um, you guys do a great it's, job with that. It, it's always great questions when Tommy Guns is in it here, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dilutes us a little bit. Just kidding, Tommy. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. That yeah. very, very much hurts. He's, he's not listening or else he'd be in the chat, so it's fine. Yeah. I mean, if, if, a, if a tree falls in the woods, is there any sound? I mean, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, here we go. Let's get to some more. We have another super chat here. Sam Anderson, thank you so much. So Kenny, uh, Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr, last time we had two quarterbacks in top five in the Elite 11. Um. Uh, I, I I'd have to go back and look. I, I is did Malik say the Malik do well in the Elite Eleven? I'm like trying to. Think I, I, I think Malik was in it, right? So he was in the 13 so. class. Did he finish top five? That was the question. I, I guess right. No, like, 13 finalists. Let me see here. Um, yeah, Deshaun Deshaun was in it in the 13. Okay, that was so Malik would have been the, tw the 12 was he? I keep thinking recruiting class. So gotcha. Malik was in it in 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 uh, 2012. You had a stretch of several years because I believe Gunnar Keel was also in it. Yeah, he had to be. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if he did well. If Ev was in it too. Yeah, Ev was in it in 2010. Okay. So uh where I think it I don't think Andrew Hendricks was in it though. And this was and now keep in mind back then it wasn't 20 dudes. It was yeah. like 11, 12 guys. So 2010, they didn't have a guy. Man, some of the names on this are hilarious. What a bad quarterback class that was. Here's the here's the 2009 Elite Eleven guys: Blake Bell, Oof. Joe Boister, signed with Michigan State, huh? Robert Bolden, Tyler Bray, he ended up being okay. Barry Brunetti, oh, Devin him. Gardner, Gardner Jake yeah. Heaps was the was the MVP. Ooh. Oh, I saw his yeah. name on the, the someone posted the Elite Eleven uh, winners every single year. And uh -huh. I remember I saw Jake Keeps yeah. won it that year. Austin Hinder. Oh, Nick Cal, Montana. Right? Jesse Scroggins. Ooh. Phil Sims. Philip Sims. Ooh. And Chandler Whitmer. It's not a, it's great, not year. a great year. So Everett was in it in 2010, and the MVP that year was uh Jeff Driscoll, was in okay. the winner that year. Okay. Uh, Gunner Gunner Keel was in it in 2011, and 2012 Malik was in it. 2013 Deshaun Kaiser was in it, and then I believe Brandon Wimbush was in it the next year. Yeah, Brandon was in it the next year. So Notre Dame went through a stretch of five years where they had a guy at the Elite Eleven. But did they, did any of those guys finish top five in the? Finals I don't know if they finished top five. Um, yeah. you know, so I I don't know what the rankings were back then, but they had some guys that were. That were pretty good. 
You, you know what's so, funny, Brian? I, I saw the Elite Eleven winners. The, the year Jameis Winston won, there was a co a co MVP, and I had never heard of this guy, which was just absolutely hilarious. I forget his name already. What was Let me find that. That would be the the twelve year. Um, uh, no, the eleven maybe? year. No, the eleven maybe. year because he was. A, that's right because Jameis was a year. Yeah, uh, you're talking about Neil Burcham. They had th- it was Neil three guys, three co MVPs. It was Jameis Winston and Tanner Mangum. We've both heard of Tanner Mangum, but yes, Neil Burcham. I never heard of that kid. He went to SMU. I looked him yeah. up. He threw two touchdowns and six interceptions in his career at SMU. Never heard of that kid in my life. Yeah, that's <laughs> weird. Uh, Chad Kelly was in that one as well. Talented that's kid. Yeah, that's one of the years they Connor Brewer, Gunnar Keel. See who else was in Siler Miles. I like that kid had a big arm, man. I, oh, I thought talented. he had a chance to be a good player. Went really to Washington, did. right? Siler. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Patrick Tolls, uh, Travis yeah. Wilson, some decent quarterbacks in that one. Travis Wilson ended up being solid for Utah. Yeah, so yeah he good. was. He had some knee problems. I think he might have been even a little bit better. Gunnar Keel also was a really good player at Cincinnati before that big injury. So yeah. Interesting one. I, again, I don't. I don't know that CJ is going to finish in the top five for a reason. A lot of reasons that are just going to annoy me and tick me yeah. off. But uh, apparently, CJ's killing yeah. it today. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So hold on a second. I'm actually. Um, all right. So I'm just texting somebody who I was who was at the thing, and it looks like he uh, didn't see the the accuracy thing. But yeah, supposedly he did very well there. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see here. Let's get one, two here from Jordan Schreiber. Jordan says, Brian, what are your thoughts on Brady Quinn's freshman and sophomore year? Did you see his potential? Were you expecting those junior and senior years he put up? What held him back those two years? Well, I never expected those the big production in those years because you knew that offense was never going to allow a quarterback to thrive. I mean, that was the thing is – they weren't going to put up the number. So when I'm watching this freshman and sophomore year, Ryan, and I don't know how, like you were still kind of young then. I mean, imagine, right? Like yeah. 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that. Yeah. In 04, 02 and 03 or 03 yeah. and 04. So I didn't see that. Cause I, the offense was just never going to allow them to be that. But when Charlie Weiss came, I thought that there was a chance that Brady Quinn could really break out. Cause I always thought he was talented. And I, and, and I, I'll tell you, I was the first time I ever heard Brady Quinn's name actually was from Dan Mullen. So I was working the Bowling Green camp. I think it was my first year of coaching. I was working Bowling Green camp, Bowling Green camp that year, and that was back when Urban was there and all that. And and I got to know Dan Mullen a little bit back then, and I really liked him, and he helped me a ton. Like he was really someone who who spent a lot of time with me and you know helped me let me ask questions. We'd sit there and talk about how we go through film and all that. And I remember him coming back, and he was like, "Yeah, I just w- worked the Michigan camp, and I just watched one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life throw." I was like, oh, really? Who's that? He goes, yeah, some kid from Ohio named Brady Quinn. I was like, oh, really? He says, yeah, but I think he's going to go to Notre Dame. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, sweet. You know, because recruiting, I, I wasn't really following recruiting back then like I do now. Like, I, I didn't start following recruiting. I was still in that, that spirit of when I was a kid, Ryan, we didn't start paying attention to recruiting until after the season. Because, like, all the top recruits would come in for the banquet in December, and then they would basically close from, like, Jan, you know, from December to February is really the main recruiting period. So I had still yet to kind of have my mind change to where I got to start recruiting now. And, and even then you didn't see a whole lot of kids commit that early. So I said, all right. And then when you found out, you know, Brady was going to go. And I remember watching him play. I think this kid's got a good arm. He's athletic. He's a tough He's tough as heck because he got his brains beat in. But, you know, his delivery's a little herky-jerky. 
You know, it's not real clean delivery. He's not the super most accurate guy, but you're like, this kid's got tools, man. And you could just see the toughness and the leadership. And then when Charlie came, you said, okay, I think this guy's got a chance to be a good player. Because I felt, I'll be honest, Ryan, I felt a lot about that 2004 team like I felt about recent Notre Dame teams. Like I was like, man, most Oval is just being wasted. Rama's being wasted. Jeff Samars is being wasted. I can remember watching him in the Insight Tom dot combo, and uh, and thinking this dude can play. Like like I have to go find try to find the uh, the um, box score for that. But I I believe he had five or six catches that game. I believe Ryan. And I'm thinking, boy, this this guy's got some this guy's this guy's got some tools, man. Uh, Samarja had five catches for 89 yards. Rayma had four for 90. Uh, Brady went 17 of 29 for 214 yards and two touchdowns. And I just remember thinking this Samarja kid can play because he didn't do a whole lot that season, Ryan. Like, yeah, I think he had um, that year, Samarja had 17 catches for 274 yards. So think about that a third of his catches and a so 25, at least 25% of his yards came in one game the end of the yeah. season. So when Charlie came in, you got to think he's coming off multiple Super Bowls, pro style offense, and you're thinking they've got they got a chance to, to do something. Anthony Fasano was a good player, and thinking they got a chance to do something. Darius Walker had shown some promise, so I really thought that that team had a chance to break out offensively. I just thought they were being held back by coaching. Yes, and come to find out, they were. They're just being held back by coaching, and I and I felt a little bit about that way now. Although I would say, I don't think it was coaching only; it was more so the quarterback play. Uh, so that's why we, you, you and I have talked about this, man. How good would Notre Dame have been last year if they had Jack Cohn? Seriously. How good would Notre Dame have been last year if they had Sam Hartman? Whole yeah. different team. I'll, I, I'm right. I'm going to ask you a mailback question that okay. I discussed uh, in the show the other day. I want to get your opinion. It's something I brought up when we were talking the other day about Sam Hartman and the Heisman and all that. What do you think Notre Dame's record is last year? Not minimum, but what do you think it would have been if the only difference in last season – was a Sam Hartman was the starting quarterback. Probably go 11 and one, probably Nets. 11 and one going into the postseason. You know, I mean, cause you'll have Ohio state and you'll have USC, right? Like those are the two games where like, you want to go one and one right. with those most likely with Hartman. So I'd probably say 11 and one going into and the I said, if there's you're 11 and one, no way they lose to Marshall and Stanford with Sam Hartman. Nah, no way. No nah. way. Not a chance. The debate Not is, do you think they would have beat USC or Ohio State? I, I said I still right. – I think – I actually thought they would have probably lost Ohio State and beat USC because I felt like the biggest issue against Ohio State wasn't Tyler Buckner. It was the offensive line. Yeah, offensive line. And I don't know if yeah. that would have changed with Sam. Now, maybe Sam could have got some throws out and things like that, but you know, yeah. I, I, I'd have felt better about beating USC than Ohio State. Game one of the co- new coaching staff and all that uh, – you know, I could be wrong. Some people disagree. Yeah. They thought they could have beat Ohio State. Maybe. I just think you you would have split most likely. The more likely realistic thing is you to split. But I think they're 11 and one team last year with Sam Hartman. And that's where yeah. I'm like, I get that we need to see it. But I think this team's going to be more talented. That's why I'm very optimistic about this season is because I do think the schedule is a little tougher after the top three. Like, I think the top three this year is a little easier than it was last year. Just because yeah. you get two of them at home this year. You look, you know, obviously uh, Ohio State lost C.J. Stroud. They're still going to be very good, but they're, you know, maybe not quite as good offensively. But after it, it's a little tougher this year, but not to the point where you should lose to any of those teams if you're as good as you should be. So um, I just – that's partly why I'm really optimistic about this football team. 
And 11, 11 and one, you make the playoffs last year if you split with the USC Ohio State yeah. games. Like you, especially if you them. lose to it would have been to me. It would have been better to lose to Ohio State and then run the table than to beat Ohio State and then Finish lose to USC. Yeah. yeah. So that that would have been. Uh, yeah. Although lot, here, here's the interesting thing: straight wins. Like that's pretty crazy. Think about this, Ryan. Who gets in if Notre Dame beats Ohio State, runs the table? loses to USC, let's say it's a close game, they fall out of the top four, in my opinion. But here's the question. Do they jump back in the next week when Kansas State beat TCU? Probably. Probably. Yeah, most likely. Most likely. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.